Haggai chapter 2. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joan, for reading. Well, welcome back to church as we're continuing through the book of Haggai. Uh, last week, Bart Priest, and we looked at chapter 1, and we saw how the people of Jerusalem recognized that it was time to put the Lord first and to build the temple. And the people obeyed the voice of God and began to rebuild the temple. Chapter 1 began on the first day of the sixth month, and they became and began to work in the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So it took them 23 days to begin the work, and now the work has been continuing until the 21st day of the seventh month. So almost a month, uh, a month later, um, the foundations are laid. It's not a one-day job, a one-day work party, but a continuous uh, building project. And after the, a month, there seems to be some sort of discontent amongst the people. Um, and today, as we look at the verses, we will see how God responds to that. Let's just begin with prayer. Father, we thank you that you are our God, that you are faithful and good. And we pray for your word that is preached today, that not to return to you void, but accomplish that for which you have sent us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we look at this passage, because there are such specific dates, we have to realize what those dates are there for. And uh, as we, we read it, we realize that this passage, today's chapter, starts on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is confirmed in the book of Ezra, and I'm going to ask you to keep your, your hand or a piece of paper or something on Haggai and turn to the book of Ezra. So Ezra, I believe, is one of those books you have to read with the book of Haggai to understand a little bit of the context. And so let's turn to Ezra chapter 3, which is on page 474. 
474 in your church Bibles. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now, you do, hopefully you should recognize the scene as we read it through. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in the towns, the people assembled together at, as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, you'll recognize that name, son of Josedach and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the other name you should recognize, a son of Sheatel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of, uh, of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundations. And listen to what they did in this month. They sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. And after that, they presented regular burnt offerings and new moon sacrifices and the sacrifice of all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those who brought full free will offerings to the Lord. And so on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. It was a busy month. It was a month where they were rebuilding, they were restarting things off. They had all these sacrifices to make, and there were people, as they went through this Feast of Tabernacles, who remembered what the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was. The Feast of Tabernacles was there to remind people that before they came to Israel, they lived in tents. Before they, they came to Israel, God himself lived in a tabernacle. And when they came to Israel, they were able to build God a temple. They were able to take God out of the tent and put him in a temple. They were able to stop living in tents and start living in houses. They were in the promised land. And as they were building this temple, their minds must have gone back to that temple, to those days. And verse 3 of our passage says, Who of you is left who saw the house in the former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? That is a very difficult thing to say on a, on a festival day. Does it seem like the work you're doing is, done, is nothing? Haggai was speaking out loud some of the feelings of the people of the camp. The temple had been destroyed just over 60 years previously, and the current workers were attempting to rebuild it. They were realizing that this new building was not going to look like the previous one. Solomon, if you might know, was fairly wealthy. In fact, in his time, gold was nothing. Silver was, 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 was too cheap to use. And he covered the whole temple with gold. That's in 1 Kings chapter 6. This temple that he built was amazing. It was beautiful. Nations would come and look at it. And as the people started building this temple, they were thinking, what was going on? Let's continue in the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. And that says there, this is a very strange thing that happens um, from verse 11. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests, the Levites, and the family heads, who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy, and no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. 
that there was much noise and the sound was heard far away. A very interesting crowd. There were some people who were younger who thought, this is amazing, we finished, the, we finished the foundations, we're going to build a temple. And there were some folk who were older who looked at this temple and they just started crying. This is nothing. This is nothing compared to what we had before. In their minds, this new temple was nothing. What was going on? And Haggai knew that his tendency was very catchy. How many people had seen the previous temple? Well, to have seen it, you had to have been at least probably about 70 years old because it was destroyed 66 years ago. They were, they were a little bit older. They had to remember the temple. And so maybe even a few years older than 70. Just the elders. Um, and so those people were going to influence the rest of the crowd. And so Hagar recognizes this, and God, through Hagar, starts to address this problem. And sometimes our life is like that, isn't it? Sometimes our memories of the past glories become even brighter as time goes on. It's even the same in church circles. Sometimes people will say that, that in the UK, the church was such a strong country. The UK was such a strong country. Way back when we sent missionaries out to all parts of the world, as the UK was growing, the church was growing globally. People were being brought to Christ because of the work of the church in the UK. Even the Church of England was, was a church that spoke the truth, that backed what they were supposed to be doing. And some people might even say, back in the day, Emmanuel was such a great place, a place where the whole community came, where children's church and, and, and Sunday school was full, full to the brim. It seems like the present can never match the past. The present difficulty seemed to highlight how, how good it was before. But God wanted to show something to the people in Haggai's day, something different. And he wants to remind us the same today, that he is the same yesterday, today, and he will forever be the same. While it's important to see the problems and issues that are around us today, how we respond to those problems is very, very important. And it seems that for Haggai's words, it was because the past was just too good. And now the present seems to be nothing. How do you respond when life gives you a lemon? Do you think back to the times when your house was full of oranges and everything was good? Or do you give up and, and thank God for the lemon? And, or do you recognize the oranges of the past and see what you can do with the lemon today? And I, I know that is a little bit of a flimsy illustration, but it is important to recognize that there is a problem and God has a solution. And so as Haggai starts talking to the people, he brings some encouragements to work through the problem. And the first encouragement he brings is from the past. Verses 4 to 5. So into this depressing time that he's seeing is again start happening, Haggai gives God's words. Previously in chapter 1, verse 1, the word of God was given to the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua. But now we see in verses 4 to 5 that God speaks to all the people. Verses 5, 4 and 5 says, But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you peoples of the land, declares the Lord. Everybody. And work. 
For I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. That promise must have been so familiar to the people as they heard it. They had just come after the Feast of Tabernacles, and this promise was the promise that Joshua had received in entering the promised land in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will go with you wherever you go. God promises the promise to the people building the, building the temple. Not just the leaders, but God tells all of them to be strong because he is with them. The temple will be great, not because the gold covering it, but because it was the place where God was dwelling. Our reason for obeying God's word is not because it'll make us better or make us more holy or give us a better chance of salvation, but we obey God because he is with us, because he wants us to obey him. He is our father. Last week, Bart showed us that when we read the Bible and when we preach the Bible, God speaks to us. Even if we don't feel like he is, he is. He is speaking to us. And yeah, Haggai was saying that God told us to build this temple and his presence is with us so we can be strong and obey him. This promise is also valid for us as Christians today. We obey God because, not because it'll make us more holy, but because we want to be there for God. We want to do what God has called us to do. Uh, whatever we think we can do for God will never match the price for our rebellion and disobedience. Only the death of Jesus could do that. We obey because we want to. We, if we think that the good deeds we do will help, they will not. The sin that separates us from God cannot be paid by any amount of good things that we do. Uh, only God himself could fix that issue in our lives. And he did that by sending Jesus to live a holy life, without fault, with no sins, yet still dying on the cross as a criminal for our wrongdoings. We can have God the Holy Spirit living inside of us because we have become the temple of God. Each of us together, uh, the, together the worldwide church, and even locally, this church is part of the temple of God. Um, and we don't do good things to compare ourselves to the church down the road or to another Christian, but we do good things because God is with us and he will be with us wherever we go and whatever we do. The past lets us know that God is sovereign and wherever we find ourselves, God is with us and his plans are perfect and they are for our good and for his glory. Not only that, but Haggai looks at the people and he encourages them again with a promise from the future. So let's look at uh, verses 6 to 9. Verses 6 to 9 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, that's a very important phrase to remember, I will once more shake the heavens from the earth, the sea, and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, 
says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. What a promise this was. From the Lord Almighty, our sovereign God, who's able to do all things to the people of building this temple. It's interesting, whenever God ordained the place of worship, he filled it with his glory. The tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses could not even enter the temple meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles, uh, when Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And now he is promising to these people that his glory would fill this temple that they were building. The promise was here for the temple. I will fill it with my glory. Did this happen? Was the temple filled with God's glory? To answer that question, we have to carefully look at the words that were spoken. So this encouragement and promise begins with a tiny little phrase that lets us know what God is speaking about. He says, in a little while. Uh, these words are often repeated in Scripture to show eschatological promises. I know that's a big word. It basically means promises about the end times. And as he starts his words, he says, the desire of all nations will come. And as you read through the Bible, what is desired by all nations is Jesus. The way to the Father for all nations was opened up in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Haggai says, there will be a shaking, Jesus will come, and the temple will be filled with God's glory. And actually, Jesus, God in human form, actually went into that temple, and he worshipped there. How much more glorious was this temple than any other that had been before it? He came, he worshipped there, he spent time there. Um, before we look at this a little bit closer, let me just point out that the people at that time also saw some of the glory on the outside and inside of that temple that they did not expect. Because God is almighty and sovereign, at the time that this was being made, something else was happening in another part of the world. God decided to show his sovereignty through finances given. While the workers here did not have the finances to build the temple the way they wanted, God was working in another part of the world. Let's turn back to the book of Ezra. In Ezra, uh, it's page 476. We're going to look at chapter 5, verse 7. So here we see, we know the people are busy building the temple, and we go back to Ezra, to King Darius. A report they sent him read as follows. To King Darius, cordial greetings. The king should know that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God, and the people are building it with large stones and placing timbers in the walls. The work is being carried on with diligence as it is making rapid progress under their direction. So, how does Darius respond to this news? Let's uh, look at chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifice and its foundations be laid. 
Let it's, uh, it'll be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide with three courses of large stones, etc., etc. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Also the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple and they are to deposit it in the house of God. So whatever was taken out of the temple was going to be sent back. Let's jump ahead to verse 8. Moreover, I hear decree that when you are to do this for the elders of of the Jews, the construction of the house, their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates, so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs, burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, olive oil, as requested by the priests, must be given to them daily without fail, so they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. God was making a way for the finances to come in while they were busy building the temple. As you can see, this was after the people complained. We read earlier about from chapter 3 and chapter 4. And now we see the money is coming in to rebuild the temple the way it's supposed to be done. They didn't have what they needed to build this temple to make it amazing. But God supplies what is needed from their previous enemy. God supplied what is needed because verse 8 prophesied to them, the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the God Almighty. They were about to see God meeting their every need. These promises were not just given for that time, but they looked forward to the time when Jesus, the desire of all nations, would come. Let's go back to verse 6 for a moment. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I'll once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. A little while, about 500 years, just a little while, after this promise was given, Jesus came to the earth, and as I said earlier, he went to this temple. He was dedicated. He was taught as a child, and as an adult, he taught there. He encouraged that this place should be a place of prayer, and when challenged, he said the temple would be destroyed and raised again in three days. We know that Jesus was talking about his own body being killed, which in turn led to a new promise between God and man, a new covenant, a new testament. God promised that a shaking would come, that it would shake all the nations. Shaking is often a, a metaphor for judgment. And even though there were earthquakes when Jesus died, the death of Jesus made a way for all nations to receive the good news of the judgment we all deserved being placed on Jesus. God's glory fills the temple of God. It fills each one of us as individuals as we are the temple. It fills the worldwide church and it fills every local church as we hear, sing, and speak the gospel to each other. God's promises were fulfilled. Thinking about this and recognizing that a foreign king paid for the temple to be built, does that mean the temple in our own lives and in our local church someone will give us money to build it? You might think I would say no, but the answer is actually yes, but not money. The price has been paid by someone. It is God himself, God who meets the needs that are required. The expenses needed for the current temple was the death of Jesus on the cross, and God met that need. God supplied it. The temple is paid in full by Jesus dying on the cross, and because of that, God's peace is available to us.
we have been reconciled to God and have peace with him. But as I said before, this was also an eschatological promise. And it's only partially fulfilled in the needs being supplied at the time. It's only partially fulfilled when Christ came and I was alive on earth and in the temple. In a little while, little while, about at least 2,500 years, and we don't know how many more, after that promise, God's peace will be over all the earth. This temple will evolve into the temple of all believers when Jesus once again returns, and God's glory will be over all the earth. So what does that mean for you and me today? Well, God's title, as we we read in this passage, is repeated over and over again. He is the Lord Almighty. God is sovereign. What does this mean for you and me today? It means that God is sovereign. Even though there are things going on around us that can cause us to lose hope, God is sovereign. Even though there are natural disasters across the earth, floods and and earthquakes and volcanoes, God is sovereign. Even though there are wars happening in many countries, some more prominent in our news cycles like Ukraine and Gaza, God is sovereign. Even though there are decline in churches across the UK, God is sovereign. Even though there are changes within the Church of England that have been proposed and approved this very week that we believe go against God's word, God is sovereign. Even though there's loss of life and income in our communities, God is sovereign. When it seems like the former glory is gone and the future is looking bleak, God promises us to be strong, all you people of the land. Continue doing what you're called to do because God says, I am with you and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. God is sovereign. There is coming a time when there will be no more conflict, no more opposition, and God will will reign supreme. We need to keep building the temple till that day because God is sovereign. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that in all these things, you are our God. When we go through difficult times, we can lean on you because you are with us. Your spirit indwells us. You've called us to be your temple. And as your temple, we can know that you are sovereign, that you are our God and we are your people. I pray, Lord, for those who do not know that, who aren't part of the church of God, that they would hear your voice and recognize you as in control of all things, that you are sovereign and that you are calling us to be part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.